You're listening to the UI podcast by the Swedish Institute of International Affairs. Welcome to this uh, very special moment. Um, we had about 160 guests who signed up to listen to today's seminar. Uh, but because of the events with the corona globally, the virus, today, this morning, the Swedish authorities made a recommendation that we should not hold any public gatherings anywhere in Sweden. Uh, but I know that there's a huge interest in the situation in Crimea, here in Sweden. Uh, and we have uh, a number of guests with us today who I think are some of the best witnesses uh, that you can imagine to explain the situation in Crimea and Ukraine and also, of course, the Russia-Ukraine war that is now in year six. Um, Alex Sentsov uh, is... Uh, filmmaker, uh, activist, and uh, writer. Uh, Oleg was, as you know, uh, kidnapped and taken to Russia in 2014 and was released in an exchange last year and is now one of the recipients of the European Union Sakharov Prize and uh, he's here in Europe to talk about the situation in Crimea. Uh, Andreas Omland is a German scholar, expert on Russia-Ukraine uh, relations uh, is based in Kiev and is a well-known commentator uh, on uh, Ukrainian uh, uh, developments. And on my left side, I have my uh, highly esteemed colleague Karina, who is also Ukrainian-born uh, uh, political scientist based now in Sweden. I'm very glad to say. And um, I'm Martin Krog. I'm head of the Russia and Eurasia program here at the institute. And of course, this small roundtable. Uh, uh, is very welcome to today's event. We will record it so I, because I know that there is a huge interest outside this room and so there will be a video and also a podcast. Um, so uh, Alec, uh, very welcome. You uh, can begin to make some introductory remarks uh, just to set the stage for us and then uh, Andreas and Karina will follow and we will have an informal discussion where I invite everyone around the table to participate. Uh, thank you. Здравствуйте, спасибо большое за приглашение, за участвовать в этой дискуссии. So, good evening and thank you very much for the invitation. В Крыму никаких не было проблем с правами человека до февраля 2014 года. There were no problems related to human rights in Crimea until February 2014. Украина, конечно, не идеальная страна, которая только стремится стать европейской страной, но то, что было до 2014 года, это были такие мелочи, которых не стоит упоминать. И все проблемы у нас начались после февраля 2014 года, когда Россия вторглась в Крым. Украина не идеальная страна, и Украина только на пути к Европе, к европейским идеалам. There were problems of minor character uh, before, but the real problems uh, started in February 2014 when Russia occupied Crimea. Когда на ваших улицах появляются вооруженные люди в российской форме, когда по улицам ездят военные джипы, бронетранспортеры, на перекрестках оборудуются пулеметные гнезда. Везде происходят э, досмотры, осмотры э, в этой ситуации военного положения уже не доправ человека. 
When you see in the streets of your city, you see armed uh, people in Russian un military uniform, you see armed uh, weapon when raids uh, are uh, conducted everywhere. The last thing you think about uh, is human rights. Все те свободы, те все права человека, к которым мы уже привыкли за годы нашей независимости, были свернуты в течение нескольких дней. Those freedoms, basic freedoms, those human rights that we got accustomed to uh, within those uh, 20 some, something years of independence, all of them were destroyed within several days. Еще даже до проведения этого фейкового референдума, сразу после введения войск, уже были запреты на какие-либо марши, выступления, какие-либо демонстрации. Long before this fake referendum took place, already a ban to hold any public uh, pro protest or demonstration uh, was in place. Начали похищать людей. Часть из них нам удалось освободить с плена, а часть нет. Некоторые из них находились уже их только трупы убитые, а часть из них не найдена до сих пор. Then all the the wave of kidnaps, kidnapping started, and some of them, some of those people, we managed to release. Some of them were already dead by the time we found them. Some of them are still. We don't know the destiny of them. За пять лет оккупации пропало около 50 человек, порядка 20 были найдены мертвыми. Those five years of occupation, uh, around 50 people have been, uh, have been lost, have been kidnapped, and 20 of them have been murdered. Это не криминальное преступление, это все люди, активисты, которые выступали за Украину. Это была месть спецслужб России. And all of those people are—they are not criminals. They are activists who were speaking freely in in favor of Ukraine. Больше сотни человек находится в тюрьмах. В основном это крымские татары, которые также выступают против оккупации. More than 100 Crimean, mostly of them are Crimean Tatars, and they are imprisoned. Таким образом создается атмосфера страха, запугивания и отсутствия желания какого-либо протесту. So, by doing so, they try to create the atmosphere of fear and intimidation, so that people will not have any will to protest. Это если мы рассматриваем эту ситуацию в плане выступления проукраински настроенных граждан. Их подавлять очень жестко и высказывать какую-либо украинскую позицию невозможно, потому что сразу за этим следует тюремный срок, в лучшем случае, или похищение. So, what I'm trying to say is, any, uh, uh, any sign of pro being pro-Ukrainian, any liberty of speech in terms of Ukraine, in favor of, of Ukraine, are suppressed and punished. In the best way, we speak about uh, imprisonment. In the worst scenario, it's uh, kidnapping. Кроме вытравливания борьбы со всем проукраинским в Крыму, Россия привезла с собой весь тот набор карательных инструментов, которые существуют по всей остальной России. So, besides oppressing pro-Ukrainian population all the time, Russia and Russian troops have brought with them all that 
set of punishment methods that Russia is using in Russia. Это тотальное полицейское государство во главе с спецслужбами, которые контролируют жизнь граждан, ведя за ними слежку и фиксацию всего, что происходит. So we are speaking about uh, police being in charge of civil population, of civil life, and we speak about surveillance at every, in every sphere of civil life. Отсутствие политической, экономической, социальной, гражданской свободы. So no political, no social, no, no civil uh, freedom. Либо ты с российской официальной властью, с партией «Единая Россия», с Путиным, либо тебя не существует на политическом поле. So either you are pro-Russian, either you support what Putin is doing and you support this party, Edina Russia, or you do not exist. Отсутствие свободы на собрание, даже на одиночные пакеты, не говоря уже про демонстрации, отсутствие независимых СМИ, отсутствие честных выборов, отсутствие каких-либо правозащитных организаций внешнего мониторинга. So all those signs of democratic society, free of gathering, and we are speaking not even gathering in big, uh, in, in big groups, gathering, you know, different individuals uh, try to gather, no free speech, no free uh, media, uh, nothing. В России не пускаются никакие мониторинговые группы, ни правозащитные, ни гражданского общества, поэтому понять, что происходит на этой территории, с гражданскими правами очень трудно, это такая серая зона. So you could describe Crimea right now as being some a gray zone, because Russia does not allow any group that will observe or monitor or give the world the true picture of what is happening in Crimea when it comes to civil society, civil rights and human rights. Я общаюсь с людьми, которые сейчас еще проживают на территории Крыма, выезжают в Киев, и они говорят, что атмосфера страха, запугивание, молчание, то есть люди просто не высказывают свою позицию, просто молчат, как бы и живут, как будто ничего не замечают, потому что живут закрытыми глазами. Meet often people who used to live in Crimea. Now they have moved to Kiev, and they say that. Uh, and I can see this atmosphere of fear and intimidation. And those people, they live in silence. They they live as if nothing is going on. При этом Россия создает красивую картинку в своем пропаганде, своей федеральной СМИ показывает, что в Крыму все хорошо, все прекрасно, как для внутреннего потребления, так и внешнего экспорта, показывая европейцам, что никакой оккупации не существует в Крыму все хорошо. At the same, t at the same time, uh, what Russia is presenting both uh, to uh, its own citizens and outside for the outside world is a beautiful picture. There is no occupation. Uh, everything is wonderful. Приглашаю из Европы каких-то маргинальных политиков или маргинальные СМИ, которые за кремлевские деньги, за политическую поддержку приезжают, общаются, говорят, что все хорошо, тем самым легитимизируя преступления российского режима. They do invite to, to, to Russia and to Crimea marginal politicians and marginal media who, for the money of Kremlin, will uh, support and will show to the world the picture that Russia wants them to show. And by doing so, legitimize all those crimes that are going on in Crimea now, in Ukraine. Особый трагизм постиг тех приспешников Крымской весны, которые приветствовали пришествие России весной 2014 -го года. Повторите, пожалуйста, это. 
особый трагизм постиг тех людей, которые приветствовали пришествие России весной 2014 года. Потому что тот прекрасную Россию, которую они видели в телевизоре, ее не существует, и за пять лет они ее не увидели. Эта Россия продолжает существовать в телевизоре в виде пропаганды, а реально не видит совсем другую жизнь, тупое, бесчеловечное, полицейское, бюрократическое государство, которое давит любую проявление свободы. Многие из активных сепаратистов, которые помогали захвату Крыма в Весной 2014 -го года, но они находятся в местах лишения свободы, в тюрьме, из-за того, что они думали, что им сейчас дадут власть, а их просто от, от, отставили в сторону, а кто сопротивлялся, посадили в тюрьму. Взамен этого Россия привозит с материковой части своей страны людей, ставит его на все ключевые должности, полицейские, спецслужбистские, чиновничьи. Поэтому никто не на улицах ныне не кричит «Россия». Никто не смеется и не улыбается, потому что все живут в атмосфере подавленности и безысходности. Yes, Oleg has now, I think, very well described the human rights situation that there is, and he has also already uh, implicitly indicated where indeed the solution to this um, problem is. And um, on the surface, I think it looks to many that there is no solution to this, that it is just how it is, and Russia will not give away um, um, uh, Crimea again. But I think there is um, a strategy to follow, and that is to um, to speak to the Russians why um, this will remain a problem and why this problem uh, will not be only a problem for Ukrainians, but that will and for Crimean Tatars or and especially for people like um, like Oleg, but that it will also be a problem for Russians in Russia. Uh, and of course also for, for Russians um, on Crimea. And I think the uh, one, one approach to communicate uh, to Russians to at least, uh, you know, as far as you can do that via, via mass media or diplomacy or conferences or any sort of public fora is to explain to the Russians why 
this will remain a topic of discussion, of debate, of sanctions, and of confrontation with Russia. And I think the, the whole operation and the, the popularity of the annexation now in Russia is based on, um, on four misunderstandings. The, the first misunderstanding is that truth is something that is um, sort of uh, unlimitedly can be uh, to an unlimited degree manipulated and you can sort of impose a narrative um, not just within Russia but also internationally which is I think a misunderstanding that comes out of uh, Russian internal affairs where indeed um, there is a lot of manipulation and imposition of, of narratives. The second misunderstanding that there is no such thing as rule of law and there's no such thing as rule of international law because at the end of the day the strong wins and the weak loses and you have to be strong and if you're strong then um, then you can um, disregard the strong of uh, the rule of law the, the um, third misunderstanding is that Ukraine is either weak or unimportant or in fact non-existent and therefore you can do to Ukraine whatever you want um, and uh, uh, because you know many in in Russia I think you know not just in the elite but also um, in in the population perceive um, Ukraine as as not quite a nation, not quite a state, not quite existing, not really serious. And the the fourth misunderstanding is that Russia is a is so strong and big and large and and important that it can um, withstand the um, um, the Western sanctions and Western counteractions. Um, that will remain in place. So, so the, the, the first one, and I'm only going to indicate um, each of these four points, um, um, is this misunderstanding that you can simply impose a narrative and that will then be um, um, uh, accepted as, as truth. And here what one could communicate to the Russians that um, if you tell us that there was a referendum in 2014 on the basis of which um, uh, a country could could be separated, then you could answer yes, there was a referendum in 2014, in September 2014 in Scotland, uh, when uh, there was a, a real referendum and uh, when unlike in on Crimea where 60% of the population think of themselves as being um, Russian in Scotland, 80% um, of um, the population of Scottish think of themselves as Scots um, the referendum was actually lost and 55% of the Scots voted against uh, separation, um, 44 only uh, in favor, and that we know what a real referendum looks like and that this referendum with the, I think, 96% or something like that for, um, for the annexation is not um, uh, and will never be accepted by, by uh, the West as something and however how much you, you, you can talk about it and that there was a referendum or some other justification, this will not be accepted. So while you might, may have this narrative within Russia, um, there's no chance for, for Russian propaganda to impose a narrative on, uh, on the Western public um, uh, to, to get over with this conflict on the basis of some sort of truth manipulation and you know and you could you could you could say many things about you know the many untrue things but um, you know the scottish referendum is just maybe one reference point 
um, uh, and that you don't know in, in before such referenda, because we didn't know what, uh, before the Scottish referendum, uh, a year before the referendum, it looked almost that Scotland would, would leave Great Britain, but then eventually didn't. And uh, something like that may have also happened in a real referendum on Crimea, that it would have been perhaps around 50%, 50% against, 50%, and there could have been, you know, and it, it could have gone either way, like, with, like it, uh, it was um, in Scotland. The, the second um, um, argument that uh, Russians have to be told that, yes, you are strong and you could, in this particular um, situation, you could disregard international law, how, in the same way that the rule of law is, is basically every day disregarded in Russia. And, you know, and the strong one wins. But the problem here is that exactly the main source of Russia's strength and the main resource at the end of the day that Russia um, could do what it did is also what the West, what what um, uh, what makes the West uh, approach this whole thing as something very important to the to to the West, namely uh, Russia's nuclear arsenal. And the thing here about the nuclear arsenal of Russia, which is I think at the end of the day, the main reason why Russia behaved towards Ukraine the way it did, why it behaved towards the West the way it did, and why the West behaved towards Russia the way it did, the main um, aspect of this is that Russia is allowed to be a nuclear superpower according to the non-proliferation treaty of 1968, of which the Soviet Union is a so-called depository state and of which it was a founder in, in uh, 1968. So this is, it looks like the, the source of strength of, uh, of Russia, the nuclear arsenal, but at the same time, this is exactly the reason why, why Crimea will not remain a Russian-Ukrainian matter. So the, I think what we have to tell the Russians is that you may think that this is a Russian-Ukrainian matter and that you know, nobody cares at the end um, in, in the West about Crimea and nobody cares in the end uh, about Ukraine and, and nobody even cares much about Russia. But the, but the point that we have to tell um, uh, the Russians is we will, uh, the, the sanctions concerning Crimea will remain in place, not because we care about Ukraine, not because, uh, frankly, not because we care about uh, human rights violations on, on Crimea or because of the Crimean Tatars or something like that, but be because basically every citizen in this world has an interest in the um, sustainability of the non-proliferation regime, because we all need the no non-proliferation regime because you know, if proliferation starts, nuclear pro proliferation, then this is this is going to be very, ex very, very, very dangerous. And and the fact that Russia has um, has used its status as a nuclear superpower to en enlarge its its territory puts the entire logic of the non-proliferation regime on its head, and it basically tells the world that if you want security, if you want uh, secure borders, territorial integrity, political sovereignty, you need the bomb. Because you cannot rely on the non-proliferation regime or on the international law in, in general, as, as Ukraine tried to do, 
you know, it, it even had a Budapest memorandum, which was a sort of top-up document. It had bilateral treaties with Russia that secured its border, the Belovish Agreement of 1991 or the Border Treaty of 2003. It, uh, it joined multilateral structures like the Council of Europe, the OSCE. It uh, has been a founding member, Ukraine, in fact, of the United Nations, and so on. And although Ukraine was thus protected, by a multitude of international treaties, bilateral, multilateral, or trilateral, in the case of the Belovish Agreement of 1991. At the end, it could not rely on it, and especially it could not rely on the logic of the non-proliferation regime, mainly, namely that an official non-nuclear weapon state like Ukraine would be protected by the logic of the non-proliferation regime from an, an official nuclear weapon state like Russia. And therefore, the West and many other countries around the world will impose and will keep the sanctions con concerning uh, Crimea, especially concerning Crimea, maybe even more so concerning Crimea than concerning the Donbas, because this is such a blatant violation of this, uh, which, is, um, uh, which is then um, uh, uh, important. And, the, and what has, has to be also said in connection with that, that um, uh, that Ukraine is, perhaps for many Russians, looks weak, but Ukraine is, um, is a full member of the international community, and Ukraine is a state like any other state. Maybe not for, for Russians, but for the international community it is. And therefore, the international community will always treat that as a generic violation of international law and not as some sort of inter, uh, intra-Slavic uh, trouble or some sort of post-Soviet peculi peculiarity. But um, um, this is really um, something that uh, everybody um, or many countries around the world uh, will, will care about. And what we have then to tell them is, okay, you can sort of keep Crimea, but then you will have to pay a price and you will be because of the sanctions and because Crimea itself will be an, an expensive enterprise, it will remain an, an expensive enterprise, if you are ready to live all your life worse than you could without Crimea, then perhaps Crimea is yours. If you are ready that your children will live worse than, um, than you could without uh, Crimea, then perhaps, and if your grandchildren will also be live worse, because the sanctions will be in place, Crimea will remain um, expensive for, for Russia. Look at East Germany, for which West Germany is still paying after, after 30 years. If you are ready to pay a very high price for Crimea, then perhaps it is yours. And then you can use your nuclear weapons to, to, uh, um, to, to keep it as it is and to, uh, um, and to uh, uh, keep the situation and, and to keep uh, Crimea under Russian control but then you will have to pay a very high price, and if you are ready to do that, then, then yes. But uh, think about it. You know, how, how important is Crimea really to you? Is it really um, a core part of Russia? Is it really something without which the Russian um, nation uh, can, uh, cannot exist? So maybe I'll stop at that. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, and Karina, please continue. Thank you. Um, I would like to continue some of those points that Oleg has made. I think that uh, Andreas has covered extensively the future 
points to keep in mind about the future of Crimea. Um, so therefore I want to focus mostly on the human rights situation. So as Oleg highlighted in his opening remarks, um, the issues of human rights abuses are very much uh, distressing um, in Crimea. So the cases of extrajudicial killings, forced disappearances, political imprisonments, and of course the tortures, they're numerous and they got out of hand. And in this context, while we can of course well, and most of us do sometimes uh, accept the situation as uh, as given, um, because we all have to face the truth. Crimea won't be returned to Ukraine anytime soon. But nevertheless, it is important to keep on talking about the human rights situation in Crimea and the possible ways how we, uh, wherever we are, can improve that situation, at least marginally, at least somehow. And that will be maybe good enough um, for now. So therefore, we'd like to address some of those issues that one could consider when talking um, to Russian officials, for instance, addressing the issue of Crimea. So although we all are very unhappy with the results of well, so-called so um, judicial system in Russia and the, the rulings that they have created on many cases, the terrorist charges for Crimean Tatars, etc., well, we shouldn't forget that Individual sanctions that do work sometimes, well, in most of the cases, they are the most effective um, measures if compared to other measures, right? Um, if we could consider, for instance, introducing new individual sanctions against those people that make these unlawful judgments, um, the, the justices and court officials um, from the judicial system, maybe that could somehow limit the intention to have these unlawful uh, court decisions, um, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily think that you know all of the decisions on each particular case is made or directly sound from the Kremlin. I believe that sometimes Russian officials do make these decisions, um, hoping that this will be or believing that this would be positively seen uh, by the Kremlin or other officials. So therefore, they try to foresee their likes and dislikes, and against this. Um, um, again, this picture, um, so I think that introducing some additional uh, measures targeting individuals to impact their rationale could be uh, impactful so that next time when they have a person sitting next to them, maybe they'll think twice about their own interests if they rule um, uh, something that well can harm somebody's human rights or if these uh, judgments are uh, unlawful. And of course, one shouldn't forget that Sanctions, they have impact on different levels. Economic sanctions, they have impact on different levels. So they not only hurt the economic situation in Russia, but they also have a symbolic value. Um, and of course, that sometimes is also uh, important when sending a signal to other countries that such behavior is um, unlawful and you can't do that. Otherwise, you'll be facing some economic measures. So um, in, in the case of Russia, it's also important, not only because they suffer economically, but also they suffer reputation bias, um, which also can, on the other hand, stimulate some um, or generate some audience cost from those Russians who, who would maybe pay attention more to the situation in the country and question more the, the, the regime um, when seeing these external actions have been taken. Also what is hurting Russian reputation and self-image 
it is international criminal cases against Russia. So if you follow some of the discussions in Russian media, um, when the um, court proceedings have started um, in, in the Netherlands uh, this week, so you can see how sensitive this, this topic uh, is for quite many uh, in Russia. So which clearly shows that these international legal cases and hearings in international tribunals, they can potentially at least somehow deter Russia from causing even more harm in the future. And of course, something that one shouldn't forget, it is that while in Crimea, although the human rights situation is very bad, there are still some people who try to strive for better human rights situation. There are some NGOs, not numerous, but some. There are some activists, not many, but well, few. And they do need the help um, when it comes to different um, level of help, right? They need uh, they need to be updated, they need to feel the um, kind of emotional or uh, spiritual support, you know, they have to be um, involved and included and invited and they have to be given a platform to speak out and update us on the state of human rights uh, in Crimea because honestly we don't know that that well, you know, because not that many <laughs> can actually travel to Crimea and learn the situation firsthand. Another thing that damages Russian's reputation, Russian reputation and their self-esteem, it is, it is exclusion of Russians from the international forum. Um, and you can see how sensitive it is for leadership of Russia to have international um, actors, be it international organizations or maybe representatives of some states. So it is crucial for Russia to have these different uh, guests or visitors uh, from from the outside to Russia for different occasions, be it the Olympic Games or the 9th of May parade or something else. This is a symbol for internal Russian consumption. This is a symbol of legitimation of the Russian regime, so to say. And therefore, I think that one can think strategically and use his or her time strategically when considering um, traveling to Russia and also thinking how one can leverage it because this can be used and that is an indeed used by Russian um, officials when external guests are coming. So one has to be careful with that. And last but not least, well, shaming. Shaming does have an effect. Um, open shaming, naming the wrongdoings, putting a finger on the abusers, um, that sooner or later will will create a kind of point of pressure where hopefully this could be uh, resolved uh, in some cases, right? And of course, um, shaming doesn't come by itself. Uh, also, this, is, this impacts international reputation and this can have more um, kind of consequences in terms of economic relationship with other countries, etc. So these are the things that I, I believe could be um, considered when thinking how one could improve human rights situation in Crimea. Thank you. Thank you very much, all three of you, for excellent comments. Um, I have a, a, a few questions and many questions, but, uh, but Alega, I would like to start. Um, if you could say something about, uh, you mentioned Crimea as a gray zone, that we simply, it's so hard to understand, to get knowledge about what's happening. Uh, from the outside, from the European Union, uh, what is it? What can be achieved to improve the situation about the knowledge, uh, to get knowledge about what's happening in Ukra in Crimea? Uh, what can the countries in the West do to improve the situation? Uh, just the first step to get the knowledge. 
Ну, путь один, законы, добиваться от России, с одной стороны, политического давления, чтобы она э, вернула Крым, никогда не признавать его частью России, а с другой стороны, посылать туда мониторинговые миссии. The only one way is possible uh, through laws, uh, on one hand through political pressure to, uh, to make Russia give away Crimea, to not, to not uh, just to give away Crimea. And then on the other hand, uh, and also all those monitoring missions, uh, uh, observing uh, missions to be present in, in Crimea and to, to see what's happening но которые должны заезжать с территории Украины, а не с территории России в Крым. Это очень важно. But speaking about all those missions, international missions of observance, it's very important that they will enter Crimea through Ukraine, not through Russia. Потому что Россия с удовольствием ведет всех через Москву, как бы тем, тем самым легитимизируя этот процесс как бы присвоения Крыма. Because Russia welcomes all those missions and politicians, and they are very ready to take them to Moscow and then take them to Crimea through Russia and by doing so legitimize Crimea being a part of Russia. Через Украину она этих вещей не дает. Это нужно добиваться этой ситуации, чтобы пускали миссии через Украину. And Russia does not allow. It's extremely difficult to get any any international mission to get to Crimea through Ukraine or from the side of Ukraine, and this is where our biggest challenge lies. Это должна быть либо обширная комиссия, которая работает массово и общается с многим людей, прежде всего с тех, которых угнетает это. Крымские татары, это украинцы этнические, это представители других религиозных организаций, такие как святители Еговы или украинская православная церковь, которым не дают работать там. And it's very important uh, that uh, international mission that will come to Ukraine, that it's important that they meet and they talked to suppressed categories. We speak about Crimean Tatars, we speak about uh, ethnic Ukrainians, we speak about all those religious uh, believers, um, uh, be it uh, um, Ukrainian Orthodox Church or uh, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses. Только сегодня утром были обыски в домах татары. Пять человек было арестовано сегодня утром. This morning uh, there have been um, raids in eight houses of Crimean Tatars, and five people have been arrested. Это люди были блогеры, которые вели uh, выпуски, транслировали в интернет, что происходит на самом деле в Крыму. То есть Путин uh, очень сильно ограничивает информационное пространство. These people that have been arrested this morning, they are bloggers. So these people that were uh, downloading their reports in, in the internet to, to enable the uh, public to know what's happening in, in Crimea. So by arresting them, Putin is limiting media extensively. А неделю назад одного из руководителей церкви Сетели Еговы посадили на 6 лет. Просто за то, что он свидетель Еговы. A week ago, one of the... Um, one of the managers of the Jehovah Witnesses organization um, have been imprisoned and have been sen sentenced to six years of imprisonment just because he was uh, he belonged to this organization. 
Второй путь мониторинга уже неофициальный, если бы туда въезжали корреспонденты, либо блогеры под видом туристов, и которые тихонечко по одного спокойно снимали, не привлекая к себе внимание, общались с людьми. Эта информация была бы наиболее достоверной, но это уже более опасный мониторинг. Another way of monitoring things and showing uh, things what's happening in Ukraine is unofficial monitoring when we have correspondents or bloggers who come to Crimea as tourists in private purposes, but in fact they are interviewing people, they're meeting people and then with the purpose of showing what's happening in Crimea. That's possible, that's an, that, that is another way to do so, but it's um, a more dangerous one. Um, another question, maybe it relates to what all three of you have spoken about, but I'm thinking about your personal situation, Oleg. Um, since you were arrested illegally uh, in violation of all sort of basic human rights, um, uh, the perpetrators in your case are probably known. It's possible to find out who the judges were, who the officials were. Uh, Karina mentioned the use of sanctions and the expanding that the West should expand the sanctions. What is your opinion from your personal experience, uh, the impact of sanctions? Do they work when, when, you, when, when the Western states uh, punish the individual perpetrators in the system? Absolutely, sanctions should not be lifted. They should be getting even stronger and harder. И оба эти пути, секторальные санкции, персональные, они не исключают друг друга. And sanctions, be it sanctions against the whole country or individual sanctions against separate individuals, they both can be in place. Люди при частным и конкретным преступлениям, конечно, они должны быть наказаны, против них введены санкции, но должны понимать, что какие-нибудь там рядовой судья или рядовой прокурор, у него нет никаких то счетов, не держите за делами россии вы ничего не сможете сделать absolutely and for each particular crime um, an individual should be punished but you need to understand that um, a, a prosecutor or a judge russian prosecutor or a judge hardly has any extensive property abroad so even if you if you put some sanctions on on him or her that will probably not help that much И совсем другое дело, когда вводятся санкции против людей первого эшелона, и которые связаны с экономикой, например, когда ввели санкции против Дерипаски и его э, алюминиевого гиганта, то начались у России большие проблемы. Another thing, when the sanctions are imposed on the first-line management, on those uh, uh, with whom uh, econo economy of Russia is connected, let's say, when the sanctions were imposed on Deripaska and, and his aluminium, uh, aluminium giant, then the whole Russian economy uh, uh, started suffering. A primer sectoralnych sanctions, последний самый яркий, это когда на последнем этапе строительства Северного потока американцы ввели санкции, этот проект был остановлен. Это было сильно. And the latest example of the sanctions imposed on, let's say, a larger sector uh, is when the U.S. have imposed sanctions on uh, the, when the Nord Stream uh, 2 started uh, being constructed and it's being, well, the results were very positive. 
и санкции должны постоянно увеличиваться, хоть на чуть-чуть, хоть понемногу, потому что это может иметь не столько экономический, сколько психологический момент, что Путин видит, что на него давят, и Россия будет являться токсичной страной, в которую нельзя вкладывать деньги, которая опасна для контактов, и, соответственно, будем так разрушать их экономику. Sanctions should not be lifted even more. Sanctions should be, be increased uh, over and over again. And it can be the, the result, we are not speaking probably about economic results, not only economic results, but also the mental state of Russians and, uh, the, and the mental state of, 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 of Putin. And the, we need to create, those sanctions can create the atmosphere that Russia is a toxic, co toxic country Uh, and no investments should be done. And I may perhaps just add a little bit of thought about, again, how to, how to approach a solution of the problem would be not only to impose sanctions, to increase sanctions, but also to, to talk maybe to the Russians as much as that is possible, uh, why this is a, um, an economic uh, conflict that they cannot win and to remind uh, Russians that the, um, the whole Russian economy is in nominal dollar terms about as large as the economy of the state of New York and that they are not trying to compete with the state of New York but with the United States of America and you know, also with states like Texas or California and not just with the United States of America but with many more states uh, that belong. Um, to the West and that um, some Russians think that uh, because Russia is so big and has, has, has such a large army and nuclear weapons that can somehow compensate uh, for the lack of economic st strength but it's not entirely clear how actually Russia could um, in an economic conflict uh, as it has now Um, utilize its um, military, let's say, uh, strength. Because um, what, uh, for instance, uh, coming back to the Nord Stream 2 case, um, the U.S. has simply done is it has told a company like All Seas, which is located in Switzerland, that All Seas has to choose between Russia and the U.S. There is no sanctions, sanction actually from the US in terms of uh, punishing the company all seas by itself. But the only um, threatened punishment, if you want to call it that way, for all seas, which is the company that was um, putting these pipes uh, through the Baltic Sea, the, the whole punishment was merely the non-access of this company to the US market. And the company would still be free to, let's say, cooperate with Russia But Russia is not the United States of, the U of America, it's only the state of New York in nominal dollar terms. And th that is uh, something that, um, that Russia cannot solve by weapons. And sometimes there is then in Russia the idea that you can somehow solve that with some sort of asymmetric hybrid warfare, that you sort of then use hackers and, and extremists and all sorts of um, nasty means to sort of compensate for your economic weakness. But the problem with that is that you only then, that only works as long as you are not caught and as long as that remains secret. 
But at a certain point, it then comes to the fore, and then you're still stuck with your economy of the state of New York, and you're still going to get a, ba a reaction back. So I think the, the, the Nord Stream um, uh, cancellation um, uh, well, or sanctions uh, from December, they were quite, quite unexpected for many because there, were, there was no sanctioning of Nord Stream 1. And, and I think the, the, one of the differences was that just too many people in the U.S. got upset with, uh, with this sort of asymmetrical, um, uh, if you want to call it political warfare by, by Russia um, against the U.S. and they wanted to get back to Russia, and it was maybe not so much actually about Ukraine. It, I think a large part of the story was actually that many of the of the um, parliamentarians in in the U.S. they really wanted to uh, to punish Russia, not only for uh, annexing Crimea or for the war in the Donbas, but also for um, for what the U.S. had had done um, uh, to the. Uh, to the U.S., so so this is a sort of um, uh, a circle in which Russia is, out of which it cannot get out unless it gets a stronger economy uh, and it becomes, or it, it it builds in sort of a viable alliance with with a country like China, so that it ac could ac and if it could, let's say, persuade Beijing to to impose counter sanctions or something like that. But that is, uh, I think, excluded that Russia could sort of uh, reach something like that. So there's no, there's no, neither nuclear weapons nor asymmetric warfare nor, um, nor international alliances will Russia get out of the problem that sanctions are going to be painful and that at the end of the day, the ordinary Russians will pay dearly for these uh, international adventures of their of their um, leaders and um, that they themselves will be uh, not not so much and, and not only Ukrainians or, or people uh, in the Western, Eastern or Western Europe, whoever they um, uh, are then sort of uh, um, confronted with that, but the Russians them themselves will, will, will pay for that dearly and, and, they, uh, and there's no way that Russia can, uh, can solve this issue and, and the nuclear weapons will not help with that. Thank you. Um, Alec, apologies for just asking you all of these questions, but it's a unique opportunity for us to learn. I understand you're tired, you were in the parliament earlier this day and you're giving interviews, but um, uh, before I let you go for, for a small pause, I would like to ask you uh, one more thing about Crimea and sort of the local development in Crimea. Um, we have seen over the last six years that the sort of environment around Crimea has has gone up and down in the conflict. I mean, two years ago or one and a half years ago, uh, Russian ships uh, sort of uh, attacked a few Ukrainian ships, and they were they took some Ukrainian so, uh, uh, soldiers, uh, kidnapped them, uh, imprisoned them, and and uh, the Kerch bridge was built in violation of international law. Um, when these things happen, um, how uh, how is that? Uh, uh, can you see that in the local situation in Crimea? Is there an effect on the human rights situation? Does it get worse uh, when you have also these negative external events? Or is it stable? Uh, uh, and, or, and has it been the same since 2014? Or is it becoming incrementally worse over time? Or is it improving in some respects? Uh, could you say something about that? 
Слава Богу, ситуация уже не как в 2014 году, уже людей столько не убивают, как раньше. Thanks God, the situation is not as bad as it was in 2014. We don't have uh, that many killings uh, anymore. Она уже как-то устоялась, как бы, и держится на одном месте. I, I can say that it's been stabilized uh, somehow, and so the situation now is more or less at the same level. На каком-то очень низком уровне я смотрел недавно, как бы, опросы. Крым, по-моему, восьмое или седьмое место снизу занимает во всех странах по уровню прав человека в мире. The level is low. Uh, I, I've been, I, 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 I've seen some uh, rating recently where Crimea is ranked eighth or seventh from the bottom uh, on human rights. Вы должны понимать, что современная Россия это такая бетонная площадка, которая заливает все любые проявления свободы, как бы любые проявления прав человека, то есть все это как плац военный. Такая ситуация во всей России, но в Крыму она особенно сильна, потому что они боятся любых проявлений свободы, любых проявлений протеста, потому что они понимают, что регионы не украли, как бы, и очень жестко реагируют на любые проявления свободы там. And this situation is generic uh, for the whole Russia. It's just that in, in, in Crimea, Uh, the reaction of pro, uh, this Russian occupation authorities is, is much harder towards any, um, any sign of freedom, of uh, uh, liberty of uh, protest um, and speech, because they feel they know that they have stolen this area. That's why they need to control it more. То есть эта плита толще, да, это она сильнее, потому что она боится какого проявления. То, что могло сделаться в Санкт-Петербурге или в Москве, какой-то вид протеста, который бы немножко разрешили, здесь это невозможно, в принципе, потому что будет жестко сразу наказано. So this concrete floor that I've been referring to before this uh, analogy, uh, what I mean is if um, a protest could be allowed, let's say, in uh, St. Petersburg or in Moscow, in Crimea the same, uh, the same protest of the same uh, scale would be eliminated and, and killed uh, immediately. Okay, um, thank you. Um, Karina, I would like to ask you a little more. Um, You mentioned the, uh, the ac reaction by the Western states, um, the imposition of the sanctions. Uh, it's been six years and Putin is constantly reminding Russian, the Russian public and the world that Krim Nash, Crimea is ours, and that they will never back down. In fact, according to Putin, Crimea is the birthplace of Russian civilization. Uh, because of the baptization, uh, etc., of you know, ancient prince uh, Vladimir, and uh, uh, how? Uh, and Andreas Umlan, you, you you mentioned the role of the sanctions they have in in punishing and 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 pushing down the level of economic standards and development in Russia, which is undoubtedly true. Um, but Russia has only certified and fortified the annexation it's building the bridge you know uh, the kerch bridge it's 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 attacking ships that are navigating in the region 
um, and they are also uh, defending the the occupied territories in eastern Ukraine. Um, how can further sort of actions be deterred? What what uh, what are the limits? What are the possibilities of the sanctions? Do you think <coughs> the thing that you just mentioned? I think. Um the, the legitimizing narratives that go back to the history, although they're myth, and I think that Andreas will um, a little bit speculate on this subject, as he already done today. Um, so all of this myth, together with the, um, the whole endeavor around Crimea, these, to my opinion, are uh, tools to legitimize his presence in power, his never-ending presidency, or presidencies in p plural. Um, and I think that since he cares so much about how he's been seen within Russia and outside Russia, he wants to be seen as legitimate actor. I think that one can really play the situation and introduce different instruments that can undermine his legitimacy, perceived legitimacy um, in Russia and also legitimacy on the international arena. And I think that indeed, as, as you mentioned, sanctions is one of these. Uh, instruments, of course, but also limiting interactions and openly stating and shaming Russia for its practices. I think that this could be a delegitimizing strategy when dealing with Russia, and hopefully this could somehow at least deter Russia from uh, making any other grave violations of human rights or proceed further with military activities um, in other areas. Uh, well, um, of course, there might be some risks that um, something similar could occur also in Belarus, for instance. So um, the more pressure Russia faces, the more uh, legitimacy, the more its legitimacy suffers, uh, the less likely Belarus is to face similar situation like Ukraine faces nowadays, I believe. Yeah, I think the um, the question here is a way, uh, in a way about how um, the Russian people will at the end of the day react um, um, to the sanctions. I think there was the illusion um, in 2014 with many people in Russia and also um, perhaps with some on Crimea that this annexation would be easy, quick and cost-free. And in a way I think the West has played a role here in giving this illusion um, by its non-reaction to um, what Russia has been doing in Transnistria, its uh, behavior um, in 2008 concerning Abkhazia and um, South, South Ossetia, that in the case of Transnistria there were never actually any sanctions and there were some minor sanctions in 2008 after uh, Russian troops went into Abkhazia and South Ossetia. And when then uh, Putin did not fulfill the um, um, uh, the so-called Sarkozy plan, um, the peace agreement signed by uh, Saakashvili and Medvedev um, and left the troops in Abkhazia and South Ossetia, um, uh, there were no sanctions actually imposed. And I think the, the illusion then was in Moscow that yes, there would be a, a, a lot of um, you know, protesting and uh, a lot of your sort of human rights uh, organizations would be against that. But at the end of the day, um, the West would uh, behave uh, with regard um, to um, um, to Crimea in the same way it behaved with uh, as with Transnistria, Abkhazia, and, and uh, South Ossetia. And then the the question comes: you know, are, what what price again are the uh, are the Russians ready? Uh, to pay for that, yeah, and then, and then to me, the, as an East German, you know, the question is: you know, 250 years ago, 
uh, Crimea was not a part of the Tsarist Empire. 150 years ago, um, ethnic Russians were not yet um, a relative majority on Crimea. 100 years ago, uh, ethnic Russians were not yet um, um, an absolute majority uh, there. So, so the the uh, the history of this sort of inclusion of uh, um, of Crimea into this sort of Russian realm is very short and, and very very conditional, and it was based uh, in the 20th century very much on the um, on the violent and mass murderous deportation of the Crimean Tatars in, in 1944. And um, I have my doubts at the end that um, um, if push comes to shove, if really um, the Russians understand that this is not easy, quick, and cost-free, and that it will cost them year by year more and more. Um, uh, Crimea itself will will have to be subsidized. The sanctions, um, the effects of the sanctions, will will have will uh, continue. That w are the are the Russians really um, ready for that? Yeah, and are perhaps still now they are ready for that. Um, so far, according to opinion polls, the annexation of Crimea remains um, remains uh, popular, but uh, if, if the economic situation gets worse and if really uh, in Moscow there will have to be made t tough decisions um, about you know where to cut um, uh, budgetary uh, expenditures um, and uh, so far at least um, uh, Crimea is very expensive for for Russia and I think it will remain actually expensive from you know what I see in East Germany um, under very very different and much more favorable conditions uh, East Germany is still very uh, quite expensive for 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 West Germany will then the Russians in such a situation be actually ready to pay um, the bill for for years and 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 dec decades for an for an area that um, that is not actually uh, belonging in any meaningful sense to to historic Russia. This is just a, a, a myth, uh, uh, like with with this um, uh, prince uh, um, Vladimir, who is actually Volodymyr and the Kiev prince, and and so and um, and all this mytho mythology about Sevastopol and um, the alleged uh, belonging of um, uh, the city to the Russian nation. It belonged to the Tsarist Empire. It belonged to the Soviet Empire. But dryland Ukraine also belonged to the Tsarist Empire and to the Soviet Empire. So the the whole argument is actually um, uh, quite uh, quite artificial, and um, I don't think that will uphold at the end. At the end, the people will say, "Well, you know, Sevastopol and and Simferopol are not Suzdal or Novgorod, or uh, and not even Yekaterinburg or Novosibirsk, but these are actually you know far away cities that do not really belong to uh, what um, what Russia um, actually is. Or you would have then you could make the argument well then then Tallinn and 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 Riga and and Kiev of course uh, also belong to Russia because they they have been included into the Tsarist Empire before um, before Crimea in 1783. Uh, the last point there, I think, was perhaps uh, not the one <laughs> could be interpreted in a way that we don't want you. You don't want to intend to the the, the way to interpret. <laughs> so you know why not <laughs> Tallinn and Riga as well. Um, I'm sure there are a few questions in the auditorium. We have a little more time. Um, I see a few hands. Uh, yes, please, and and uh, I, uh, Katrina, and please state your name and uh, and uh, your question, and I will then repeat it in the microphone so that people are listening can hear it afterwards. 
Okay, so the uh, there were two questions here um, uh, from Katarina. One, the first one was, um, is it meaningful to have a dialogue with Russians on the human rights situation in Crimea? And if so, which Russians should we address? Who, who should be our counterparts? Uh, is it the official Russians in the Kremlin or is it other groups in the society? Um, and the second question I, I interpreted was primarily was directed uh, a bit more towards Andreas Umland specifically. It regards it, it's related uh, and, and it's about uh, the question if uh, if if the Russians uh, would be receptive uh, to uh, a dialogue, considering that even there are the fact that even Russian liberals in in some circles have accepted the annexation as a fait accompli. Уже 20 лет находится Путин у власти, и с каждым годом ситуация с правами человека в России увелич... только ухудшается. Путин был в власти только с ним не пытался разговаривать, как его не уговаривать, как бы ситуация не меняется, только ухудшается. Он And говорит no... одно, делает другое. And no matter, uh, no matter who was trying to convince him to change his tactics, to improve those human rights situation, uh, the situation is still there. He says one thing, when he acts, it's completely different. Ситуация с правами человека в Крыму таким образом сильно ухудшилась не сама по себе, а вследствие оккупации России Крыма. The, the situation on human rights in Crimea ha has not deteriorated by itself, out of no reason, out of the blue. It has de deteriorated in direct uh, uh, conjunction with the uh, Russian occupation of Crimea. Putin doesn't want to return to Crimea, he's already said it several times, and he doesn't want to change anything in Russia, he's also said it. Putin has no intentions of giving away Crimea. He has uh, said that many times, nor has he intentions uh, uh, of improving a human rights situation in Russia and Crimea. Th he, this he has said also many times. Вчера российский парламент принял постановление, позволяющее ему править еще 16 лет. Yesterday, Russian Duma has adopted the law that will allow Putin to stay in power additional sixteen years. So we can say that the situation will be the same and worse. So if we concentrate, if we shift focus only to human rights uh, situation in Crimea, we will leave and we will go away from the main problem. Мы должны бороться против Путина, чтобы его режим потерпел крах для того, чтобы был освобожден Крым и наладились там права человека и в Крыму и во всей России. Договариваться с Путиным бесполезно. С ним нужно бороться. So the focus should still be on Putin, on uh, destroying Putin's regime, uh, on oosting Putin out, out of power. Once we have achieved that, then we can uh, continue talking or shift the focus on the human rights. There is, no, um, there is no alternative. We cannot talk to Putin. We need to fight him. 
Yeah, just to underline what I basically said already before is that um, I think there's still a mis... I mean, there, there were, I think, two driving forces for the annexation. First is imperialism, yeah, and that is a large part of it, which I think is more a problem, actually, of the Russian elite than of the common Russians, you know, who just, you know, who live in this sort of Russian tradition, you know, which basically says, you know, we are only an a country if we are an empire we can only live by territorial expansion there is a part to that but i'm i wonder how much the the common russians and or the liberal russians are actually you know thinking in these terms that you know territorial expansion is really something that that we um, that we need and and here we have to communicate to the russians that well you know you of course with your nuclear arsenal you can do that yeah but are you really ready to pay the price for that? Um, and we have to communicate to them that it's not only, uh, as I said, not only about Crimea and about Ukraine, but it's about our security. It's about the integrity of the nucle uh, nuclear non-proliferation regime, about other, that, that we need as, as West Europeans, we need a stable Ukraine, we need uh, that borders are being not because not so not only because we care about Crimea and human rights and and, and Ukraine, but we care about our our, our own interests and um, and uh, uh, and if the Russians think that, but listen, Crimea is not Bavaria. Why would you why would you engage so much? Why would you be ready to to bear the costs of the sanctions that you are imposing? And why are you ready? To, uh, to bear the costs of our counter-sanctions. Yeah? And I think that is really something for them that they don't, haven't yet gotten uh, fully. Why are we doing that, actually? And then they have something, you know, that maybe Soros is behind it, or, you know, or the, you know, Obama is, or, you know, something like that. And they, they still don't understand that this is, um, that we are ready to, to pay these costs because it's about our security, it's about our, not about, uh, you know, Ukrainian children, but um, about our children, so to say. And I think once they understand that, that this is really a deadlock, and there's no way to get out of it, and the only solution is the return of Crimea to, to Ukraine, then maybe they will start to, then if they get out of this idea, you know, we can do whatever we want, we are a strong country, you know, and you just, you are you are you really ready to 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 go without uh, to go into a, an economic conflict with us for decades and it, once they understand that we are ready to do that and we are ready to pay the costs for that and we have rational reasons to do that not only out of solidarity with crimeans and 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 all ukrainians but out of our own interests, then I think we, we, can, we can maybe come to a, to a solution uh, of that. But I think that is still not yet fully, um, there's too much, um, frankly, there is, in, if I could look on the Western, uh, in the German discourse, there's too much talk about Europe or about the West and so on. There's not, uh, we don't tell the Russians, you, you are undermining our security with this action, our security. And that's why, that's why it is a core issue for us, even, even if we forget about all the human rights and European values and Western civilization and, and all, even if we, if we sh if, and, and th that's of course what they're suspecting, that all, all talk about human rights, that's just, just fake. You know, this is very utilitarian. We always come up with, with human rights when we, when we want to have some actually 
push some geopolitical, our own interests. And once they understand that our own interest is actually that Crimea gets back to, to then I think they, they may actually understand that they are, um, this, this is a game they, they cannot win because they're simply economically too small for that, uh, to, for, for, for such a confrontation. Again, it is the economic hardship that brought down the USSR. Um, and the Donbass region was actually one of the most active regions in Ukraine to demand independence of Ukraine from the USSR. Um, because, well, maybe for wrong reasons, but they believe that uh, this separation from the USSR will bring them prosperity. right? So economic hardship will eventually, I do agree with uh, Andreas, might eventually impact uh, Russians' citizens' uh, rationale and probably make them think that they should have not done um, that, uh, well, the state shouldn't have done that, what it did in 2014. But about the mutual interests and, and human rights dialogues or any sort of dialogues, I think that one has to distinguish between civil society or NGO sector in Russia and also Russian state, because if we, if we respond to human rights abuse or to annexation with a dialogue with Russia, that is perceived as a weakness and that is perceived as cowardice in a way. Um, Russian leadership doesn't understand that as, a being, as being a countermeasure. What they understand it is something that you know, hits them hard with force, I don't imply by that necessarily military measures, but economic sanctions, well, sectoral sanctions, um, etc. So one shouldn't meet aggression, one shouldn't meet um, great violations of human rights with dialogue. That is not enough, not dialogue with the state. Um, in addition, human rights are not being seen in Russia as a win-win situation, as a mutually beneficial situation, right? Uh, it has rather been seen as a zero-sum game in Russia. So if human rights have been promoted, it has automatically been perceived as it is weakening of Russian regime, because again, the, the leadership of Russia, I believe, associating itself with, with the country uh, at large, right? So, uh, and these two notions have to be distinguished, the general population and its leadership. And dialogue, of course, has to be carried out with the activists and civil society sector, but dialogue shouldn't be a response to grave violation of human rights and actions such as occupation. Okay, thank you mu uh, very much. Um, we have a few more minutes and I have a question from Anna. Okay, um, so I'll just repeat the questions uh, a little bit from Anna Zoteva. Um, the question was directed to Oleg about um, the current situation in Russia where a lot of Russians, especially young Russians, are being persecuted uh, for participating in political protests or they are persecuted for having participated in any sort of uh, uh, protest activity or demonstrations. And um, uh, the question was, you know, from your experience, um, where can they find hope? Where, 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 where can they find uh, some source of strength in their situation? And the second question was, um, what is the role of civil society organizations in Russia? How can they support these prisoners? And um, when you were a prisoner, did you feel this support? Did you, uh, how did, did, did their support, did their actions in civil society, did that have any impact in your situation personally? 
Ну, я начну со второго вопроса. Пока я был пять с лишним лет в тюрьме, при мне Путин разделался со всем гражданским движением, со всеми неправительственными организациями в России. I will start with the uh, second question, answering the second question. While I be, uh, I've been imprisoned, I was imprisoned uh, for over five, and, uh, some, um, over five years. Putin has destroyed uh, any uh, signs of civil society and uh, any kind of those NGO organization in Russia. Все эти независимые организации, все без исключения, были признаны либо нежелательными, либо иностранными агентами. All those independent, uh, independent organizations, uh, they were uh, doomed uh, as um, bad uh, or uh, acting as uh, foreign agents. Это юридические термины. Это не просто так слова. Это юридические термины. Если нежелательно, ты не имеешь права работать в России, а если иностранный агент, ты должен писать везде, что ты иностранный агент. And these are, these are not just words, everyday words. These are legal terms that they operate in the, legal, uh, in the Russian legal system. So, um, so if you are... Uh, just a moment. Uh, um, the well, the, the, the organization that uh, is not... Uh, the government is not willing... Uh, for it to be or to work in Russia, then you cannot work in Russia. And if you are a foreign agent, then you need to state in the statute of, of your organization that you are a foreign agent. Так что сейчас в России практически не осталось независимых гражданских организаций. Они все закрыты, но люди остались. И они, конечно, помогали, поддерживали меня и письмами, и там передачи прислали, какую-то поддержку ощущал. Я знаю, что в России есть адекватные люди. That is why uh, no independent organization, uh, civil society organization is left in Russia, but as such, uh, organization as such. But of course, people that used to work for those organizations, people are still there, and the support from those people, be it a letter or some... some uh, products or whatever it could be that I received, I, I got this support and I felt this support. No, конечно, Putin свергать придется молодым. Putin? Putin свергать придется молодым. But we need to, we need to make Putin go while he is still young. Многих из них сажают в тюрьму. Очень известное дело, последнее дело сети, так называемое. Many of those who are imprisoned now, uh, they, are, uh, they are young, they are imprisoned while they are young, and uh, the latest example is uh, the case of network, so-called case of network. Полтора десятка молодых парней в возрасте 20-22 года были арестованы в разных городах России, их жестоко пытали, унижали в течение всего следствия, чтобы они дали показания против себя. Но в конце концов некоторые из них отказывались и рассказывали про пытки и это обвинение фейковое. So we are speaking about uh, um, uh, over a dozen of uh, young people across Russia, uh, aged between 20 and 22, that have been uh, arrested and tortured, and uh, and some of some of them told later that they have been tortured. How it it it, it all went. Всех вина состоит в том, что они играли в страйбок, страйкбол, это такая вот игра, имитирующая военные действия, и просто говорили о том, что Путин плохой.
and all the and they have been accused uh, wrongfully accused and uh, the the charge was that they have been playing this strike ball it's a game imitating military um, activity and they 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 would say that putin is a bad guy только за эти разговоры о том, что может быть нужно его свергать, только за то, что они имели какую-то спортивную подготовку, их уже на упреждение эта система размазала, наказала и дала от 15 до 20 лет решения свободы, причем с унизительными пытками во время следствия. All of them got uh, um, uh, sentenced, um, they have been sentenced to 15 to 20 uh, years of imprisonment uh, with previously being tortured during the investigation. Это говорит о том, как Путин боится таких возможных протестов, боится молодежи, которая выступит против него. So it just testifies uh, how Putin is afraid of, of those young people who are speaking against him. Но я не сомневаюсь, этих людей с каждым месяцем сейчас в России будет все больше и больше, потому что Путин крадет их будущее, они хотят жить в нормальной стране, а до 36 года им предлагают новый Советский Союз. До 1936 All of those Russian citizens are going to live in some sort of USSR model. И когда этих людей станет достаточно много, и они объединятся, почувствуют силу, власть Путина закончится. So when the quantity of those young people will grow into the quality, and then they will unite, and they will uh, um, make Putin go, then his his power will be um, will be over. Поэтому всем тем ребятам, которые находятся сейчас в тюрьме, пожелаю терпения дождаться этого момента, а те, которые находятся на свободе, не бояться. Потому что свобода это не дается бесплатно. Это самое важное и самая дорогая вещь на земле, и за нее придется платить тоже зачастую самым дорогим своей жизни. Strong words uh, of uh, wisdom. Uh, we thank uh, Alex and Sof, uh, Andreas Omland, and Karina Shirokich with a round of applause. Thank you very much. Find us on www.ui.sc. We are also on Facebook and on Twitter with UI Sweden. And we're also on YouTube, where you can watch our seminars and interviews. Catch you later! <laughs>